All right, so we are, start, we are continuing, we started this a long time ago, our series called Reboot, where we're talking about fresh perspectives and clean slates. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had that incident with my car, which I've mentioned to you, where the, the, uh, um, the clutch needed to be replaced. And I didn't realize it at the time, but it was, my car was telling me that I was gonna need a new clutch. And I found out that there are different, different signs that you need a new clutch. And one of them is that when it's engaged, it doesn't really feel quite engaged. So I would put it in gear and I would give it gas, but it, it, it wouldn't respond the way it was supposed to. It would eventually, but it would kind of ramp up to it. Now, I didn't know that at the time, but that was one of the signs that your clutch is going bad. Now, I was, I've been told that Americans and British have two different philosophies when it comes to problems. For Americans, we're like, go get it, you know, do it today so you won't have to do it tomorrow. And the, the British, uh, I've been told, they're more like, hey, if you just, just go with it and, and maybe you won't have to deal with it tomorrow. Maybe it'll take care of itself. Now, even though I'm American, I tend to lean towards the British side. I'm like, yeah, maybe it'll work out, you know, something like that. Um, another story. So we moved into our, uh, our new place in South Florida many years ago, and I knew that it had a gas stove. And when I went to take a shower and I turned on the water to the hot, it sputtered and it was just not working right. And I was like, oh no, because the gas hadn't been turned on yet. And I'm thinking the water heater must be a gas heater too. I just had it in my mind that that was what was going on and that's why the hot water was not working the way that it should. Um, and then there was one other thing. Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. It, you get the point. What I want you to see is in each of those cases, the way I was thinking about it mattered. Because what I actually found out with the water heater, it wasn't a gas heater, it was an electric water heater, it was working fine. It's just that the water had just been turned on and so it took a little while for the pipes to fill up and for the water heater to get going and that kind of thing. So I went several days, in fact, I think I went down, because my mother-in-law lived nearby, I think I went down to her house a couple of times to take a shower, waiting for the gas to get turned on. And it was completely unnecessary it was all in my head. It was just the way I was thinking about it. So you'll see that that's one of the reasons why we sometimes need a reboot. We need a fresh perspective and a clean slate. And today we'll see an example of both. Someone whose way of thinking about things was totally transformed by his encounter with Jesus. And all of the the. the the direction, the trajectory of his life up until that point made a complete U-turn. And sometimes that's what we need. We just need to think differently about things, believe differently about things, because we need to align it into reality. The reality was my clutch was going bad and I was going to get stranded if I didn't do anything about it. The reality was I could have been taking hot showers in my own bathroom from day one in our new place. It, I needed to align my thinking with the truth. And then I would be in better shape and I would not be disappointed. 
Now, one of the things that we're going to be talking about today is facing opposition. Uh, and this is the Apostle Paul writing to his apprentice, Timothy. He is preparing him for ministry. He's telling him all the things that he needs to do in his particular commission and assignment, but also just preparing him as a disciple of Christ. And this is one of the things that he says to him in the second letter to Timothy, chapter 3, verse 12. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So notice there, how many people who are following Jesus can expect opposition? All. All. And is this a, only if you're unlucky, only if things don't go well for you, or is this going to happen? It's pretty much going to happen, right? So, we're going to talk about a life transformed and facing opposition in today's message, which is called in spite of. And the reason that I called that, called it that, is that the question that we're dealing with is, have I put off something that I should get to? Have I put off something that I should get to? And often it's things that we are, it has to do with the way we're thinking about things. Like I should have done a little bit more research. I mean, I'm, I'm the guy who does research all the time. Anything I get interested in, but I was like, eh, problem, maybe it'll go away, right? But I should have, I should have looked into it and then I wouldn't have got stranded. Uh, is there something that you should get to? But the way that you're thinking about it, you're, you're making excuses, or you, you just legitimately feel like there are, there's opposition and barriers to what you want to do and you would do otherwise. And so we're going to learn how to think differently about facing opposition and maybe see if there's something that you should do, that you can do, that you just haven't yet because. So... Uh, for those of you that are watching online or listening later, welcome to Cornerstone. I'm Pastor Brian, and we would love for you to check in. You can do that by going to this website, cornerstonenh.org slash here, or you can download our app and check in. We would love to stay in touch with you. We would love to be able to follow up with you. So as I said, today is all about opposition. And here's what I want you to understand, just like the Apostle Paul wanted his apprentice Timothy to understand, that opposition is inevitable, but not invincible. Opposition is inevitable, but not invincible. You can overcome it. And what we'll see in today's uh, today's incident where Jesus encounters and totally transforms the, this person and the trajectory of their life is that sometimes God cho chooses the least likely convert and put him right to work despite suspicion, opposition, and danger. And the practical aspect of this, and we'll come back to all those, so if you didn't get them, don't worry about it. We're going to see those again. The practical aspect of this is to ask ourselves, what do I need to do in spite of? What do I need to do in spite of? 
So let's look at it together. This is, uh, we're going to look at Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 31. Now, this is the first time we've been out of the Gospels with an encounter with Jesus, but Jesus was still around and still encountering people even after his death, burial, and resurrection. And this is probably the most famous of those encounters. This is the conversion of the Apostle Paul. I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation if you'd like to follow along. Chapter 9 of Acts, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul, who is also Paul, before his name got changed, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Verse 3, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Verse 10. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to the straight street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Verse 13, but Lord exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized, and afterward he ate some food and regained his strength. Now Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is indeed the son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priest? Verse 22, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. 
After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. Verse 26, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him on away to Tarsus, his hometown. Verse 31, then the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord, and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and thank you that we can gather around it this morning. I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that inspired it and is with us today to interpret and to apply it, to convict, to lead, to guide. I thank you, Lord, that we can celebrate among God's people. I pray that you would speak to everyone watching and listening, everyone who is here on site in person, and that you would show us exactly what we need to hear from today's message and exactly what to do with it. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's what I want you to see in it. There's so much in this passage, but I'm gonna highlight, I'm gonna focus in on this idea that opposition is inevitable, but not invincible. First, I want you to see that God chose the least likely convert. So often the way we think about it, right, about people that we love, that we care for, that we want to see their lives transformed, we think, I don't know if that's possible, right? They're, they're too far gone. They're too, uh, too just far down that road. They're not open. They're not teachable. They're hostile. They're uh, they're in opposition, and I just don't see that changing. They are set in their ways. And so part of the encouragement that I get from this passage is that, that this persecution, this opposition that had broke out among the early church in Jerusalem, it's like God said, I want to I show you guys what I can do. I want, I want you to see that the, 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 the one person who is most opposed, most adamant, most hostile to you, he's not beyond me. I, I can take care of that. So here you have somebody who it says, uh, look at what it says in the introduction. Saul is uttering threats. Now we've already met Saul because when persecution broke out in, uh, in Jerusalem, the believers start scattering and they have the first martyr, uh, then Paul, Saul is standing there among those who killed the first Christian martyr. And he's not satisfied with that. He is 
eager to kill the Lord's followers. So eager that taking care of the church in Jerusalem is not enough for him. He wants to chase them down, hunt them down wherever he can find them. In fact, he goes to the leading priest ask for letters of recommendation that he can show the synagogues in Damascus and say, this guy is good. He's here to, to do our work. What does he want to do? He wants their cooperation so he can arrest any followers of the way. The original name of Christianity was not Christianity. It was the way. So when you're watching the Mandalorian and they say, this is the way, they didn't come up with that. That was Jesus. Jesus started that a long time ago. All right, this is the way after me. This is the way. So they were following Jesus and he wanted to chase them down in this distant city and arrest them and take them back to Jerusalem. But of course, you know the story. On the way to Damascus, the blinding light appears. He hears the voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I love that. Just reflect, I'm getting chills right now just thinking about that. He's after the believers, the followers of the way. And when Jesus knocks him off of his horse and gives him what for, he says, why are you persecuting me? That's good stuff right there. When Jesus was teaching his disciples, he would, he would talk about, you know, I and the Father are one. And he wanted to invite us into that fellowship. And so here's this guy picking on his followers. And Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? That's good stuff. So <laughs> Saul asked the most obvious question well, who are you, Lord? Now, in this translation, the L is, is uh, lowercase because sometimes kurios, Greek word for Lord, uh, is used the way we would use sir. So who are you, sir? I wonder if, but, but we also know that Lord was the way that they referred to God, right? So I wonder if he's knocked off his horse, blinding light, voice from heaven, I'm not sure we shouldn't capitalize that <laughs> because I have a sense that he knows that God is confronting him, but things are not making sense in his mind. Who, who am I persecuting? I'm following, I'm persecuting the followers of the way. And now why are you persecuting me? Well, is there somebody that I arrested that I shouldn't have? What is going on? But you got to recognize it's like, this is the Lord. So who are you, Lord? And the voice replied the words that would totally transform G or Paul's life from that point on. I am Jesus. I am the one you are persecuting. Now, he thought that Jesus was a fraud. He thought that Jesus was a failed Messiah. You can't be a Messiah and die. That kind of ruins the whole point of it. That was his mindset. And so for him to, to hear that the, the Lord in heaven who knocked him off of his horse and is blinding him with this light and speaking to him from heaven, that his name is Jesus, that rocked his world. But the only thing that he could do in that situation is just admit it. Yes, Lord. Yes, 
Lord. And so I think from that point on, he didn't have it all figured out, but he knew that Jesus is Lord and that whatever that meant, he was going to do it. And I love this about the apostle Paul. He was zealous. He was intense, but for the wrong way, for the wrong thing, and then going at it in the wrong way. When Jesus transformed and gave him new life in Christ, he was still zealous. He was still intense, but God redirected that for his purposes. And I love that because when we become believers, I think that that's one of the things that he does. He doesn't always necessarily just dramatically change our personalities. He sanctifies it. He, he transforms us so that the way that we were crafted is, is, is made whole and sanctified and redirected for his purposes. And so I think, you know, one of our next steps is to say yes to the Lord daily. I think this, that's the position that he was in. I don't have it all figured out. I'm not exactly sure why the things are the way they are, but yes, Lord, you're the, you're the Lord. So I'm going to do that. So he chooses one of the most unlikely people. Uh, so this opposition that the church was experiencing, it's inevitable, but it's not invincible. Jesus was over to come, was able to overcome that opposition. So he chooses the least likely convert, but look what happens next and put him right to work. Here's another way that we kind of handicap ourselves with our own thinking. Sometimes we say, you know, I, I can't do that yet because I don't have that person. I, I don't have the maturity to do that. I can't do that job. I don't have the personality for that. I, I can't do that job. Not somebody with my background. Yeah, I'm saved now. I'm forgiven, but I can't do that. I don't have the skill set. I don't have the education. There are all these things that we sometimes put in our own way trip over our own thinking and keeps us from doing what God is calling us to do. But I want you to see that the Apostle Paul gets right to work. He doesn't have it all figured out, but he gets right to work. So I love this part of the story. He's blind, sitting in Damascus, can't, he's fasting. Uh, he, he doesn't know what to think. And the Lord shows up in uh, in a vision to Ananias, another believer there, and tells him, "Go and see this guy Paul. He's over here. Uh, like, uh, he's." Uh, and I love Ananias's reply. It's like, uh, "But Lord, I, I've I've heard about this guy. <laughs> you know, he's like, here, let me introduce you to to, to Saul." Oh, thanks. Yeah, I know about this guy. He's the guy that we're trying to hide from. He's the, kind, he's the guy we're absolutely trying to avoid at all costs, as if our life depends on it, because it does. And so he says, but Lord. You know, so you can see this. And how many times when the Lord tells us to do something, we're like applying our own thoughts. So this is like, but Lord, I don't know if you know this or not, but... <laughs> Right? That's what we do. And so that's what Ananias does. Lord, have you met Saul? I've heard many people. I haven't had the pleasure yet, thankfully. That's why I'm not in prison. But I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. But the Lord said, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. When you become a believer... 
God gifts, he, he puts his Holy Spirit in you. As part of that, you receive spiritual gifts, supernatural enablings that allow you to do things that you would not otherwise be able to do for his glory and for his purposes. And so here you have this guy who couldn't be more, more adamant in his opposition. And here is he, he's talking to another brother saying, this guy, he is my chosen instrument. My chosen instrument. I have a mission for him. He's going to take my message, the gospel, to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as the people of Israel. Now, look at what he says after this. He's my chosen instrument. And I have this massive job, this incredible mission for him. Oh, and by the way, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Here's another mental block that we have to get over. And we talk about it here. When you follow Jesus, we want you to follow Jesus because I think it makes life better and makes you better at life. But Jesus, and we're going to be faithful to Jesus, also made it clear that this is not a life that was a, it is without suffering, without difficulty, without opposition. You can face suffering, opposition, and difficulty without Jesus, or you can face it with Jesus. I think with Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. I think you're going to be better equipped for it, and I think you're going to navigate it more successfully. But let's not kid ourselves and say to ourselves, oh, if something goes wrong, if I encounter opposition, then I must be out of God's will. Because if I was in God's will, everything would go smoothly and fine, and I wouldn't have to worry about it. That's just a lie. Don't believe it. So he's right up front. Uh, he's not even telling Paul yet. He's telling Ananias, go. He's, he's my man. He's going to accomplish these things. And he also needs to know it's going to encounter some difficulty. So Ananias does what he's told. He goes and he lays his hand on him. Remember we talked about that? That's the idea of commissioning. He's, he's, he's saying, you're my brother and you've got a job. I'm going to lay hands on you. And look at what he says, brother Saul. I love that. What a statement of faith. What a, what, a, what, a, what a man of faith, taking God at his word and saying, I'm going to go into what I, could be the lion's den, into the mouth of the lion. But he sees Saul. He says, Brother Saul. And he says, Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, sight and blindness are often... Uh, physical sight and blindness are often an analogy to spiritual sight and blindness. And so in a sense, he's acting out his life. He was blind, but now Ananias is going to come and is going to open his eyes like his eyes were opened on the road to Damascus to who Jesus is. And, and he makes it clear, and I'm going to, he, he's going to fill you with his Holy Spirit He's going to transform you. He's going to empower you. He's going to send you on a mission. So it says, instantly something like scales fell from his eyes, took care of the blindness, both physical and spiritual, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Two things that happen when you become a believer, God, by, by his sovereign power and supernaturally, puts his Holy Spirit in you. And as soon as you become a believer, you celebrate and commemorate that by being baptized. It's the first step of obedience as a follower of Jesus, and that's what Saul does. So it says, he goes on, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, 
And immediately, how soon? Immediately, he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. Now, uh, saying, he is indeed the son of God. Now, I was trying to think about what, what is this like? It would be like if you went to a political rally for one party and they started extolling the virtues and candidates of the other party. Right? Because he's come with letters saying, help synagogue leaders, help me chase down and arrest the followers of the way. And he shows up for his speaking engagement and he's like, you should really follow the way. Jesus is the way. Come on, let's follow Jesus. He is the son of God. It would be like, I don't know, going to uh, someone who was renowned for their anti-Semitism and you, and you hear about their speech and they're talking about how they're wrong. They've been wrong. They've totally changed their life. They recognize now that, that everyone is created equal and everyone is of equal value. Racists who, who turn over their racism. It's just like a total flip and totally unexpected. And that's what's happening here. He goes in and he starts to preach the message that he's been given. He starts immediately to fulfill his mission. Next steps that we talk about are serving. Sometimes we say, oh, I can't do that. Yeah, it's not this, I'm not that. Uh, no, you jump in and you start serving. Bottom line, opposition is inevitable, but not invincible. We see that in the Apostle Paul's life. God chose the least likely convert and put him right to work despite suspicion, opposition, and danger. I love the rest of this story because it's like a roller coaster. It's like, yeah, and this happened, and then this happened, and this happened. No, it's just so up and down. So we've already seen. He goes right into the synagogues, begins powerfully preaching about Jesus. What's the next thing that happens? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. He was already well-trained, very scholarly, very prepared, knew the scriptures, and in that instant of encountering Jesus personally and recognizing that he was indeed who he said he was and had done what he he said he would do, then his total perspective changes. And so he becomes unbeatable in his preaching and his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. So after that, what happens? After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They're like, we can't argue with him. So let's silence him permanently. We'll kill him. And then they uh, the, the, the believers, the saints there, they all recognize this. They're like, we got to save Paul. We got to get him out of here. We got to rescue him. So they slide him into a basket and lower him down and he gets away. And then he goes to Jerusalem. I mean, Jerusalem, that's where, that's where all the believers are, where everything started. And Saul shows up in Jerusalem and he tried to meet with the believers, but they were afraid of him. Evidently, they, they didn't get an Ananias vision. They're like, I know that guy. When he left, he was going to kill people like me. And no, I don't want to have him over for dinner. So they were afraid of him. He couldn't meet with them. They wouldn't meet with him. And then Barnabas, you got to love Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas has already showed up in the story a little bit earlier. He was one of the ones who sold property and gave it to the apostles so they could distribute it to those who had need. 
And his name, that's a nickname, is Son of Encouragement. He's just uh, the, the kind of guy you want to have in your corner. He had been evidently around, and he saw what was happening with Paul. He heard the story, and so he, he, he vouches for him. And he goes and gets him, brings him to the apostles, and says, it's okay. This guy is good. I think that Barnabas is the perfect example of the next step that we talk about of including others, just including others regularly. Make it a part of your habit to, to see those people that are on the outside and bring them on the inside. So that's what Barnabas does. So having made that introduction and they get together, says Saul stayed with the apostles and now we're on the upswing again. He went around to all Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. But the same kind of thing that happened in Damascus is now going to happen in Jerusalem. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, Hellenists, but they tried to murder him. It's like, we don't like what you're saying, so I think we'll kill you. Uh, that's the kind of opposition that he's encountering. And so then... The believers heard about this. They also want to protect him. So they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. So what they did is they take him down to the seaport and they send him across the Mediterranean Sea back to where he was, where he could be safe. And there he would stay until once again, a little bit later in the story, Barnabas, who is now in Antioch, goes, gets Paul, brings him back to Antioch, and it's there that the Holy Spirit commissions them both and they begin their missionary journeys and the writing of the letters and the planting of churches and giving us about two-thirds of our New Testament. All of that, and in part because Barnabas went and brought him back. Kind of cool. Now, I want you to see kind of the whole arc of this story because after Jesus' resurrection, they're just sitting around, and he had told them, well, I, I need you to spread out. And so persecution begins, and they spread out. And Saul, or Paul, has been a leader of the opposition, and the opposition grew. There was the first martyr. One of the apostles gets murdered. Some of them are put in prison. And it's like Jesus says, I, I'm going to take care of things. Here, here, let me show you how I can take care of it. And he converts Paul. And Paul becomes a powerful proponent but it's, uh, of the gospel. But it seems like everywhere he goes, there's like more drama and more opposition. And so the believers say, we're going to take care of you. We're going to send you off. You're, you're going to be safe. And then the summary statement that the writer of Acts, Luke, the same one who wrote the gospel of Luke, uh, is in verse 31. It says, then the church had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, that's the land of Israel, south, north, and middle. And it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Listen to that summary statement. All of this turmoil, all of this opposition, but God was able to reach out of heaven, totally transform a person, totally transform the trajectory of their lives, make their opposition into a, a strong proponent of the gospel. And for this time period, he gives them peace, he makes them stronger, and they grow in spite 
of all that opposition. So I think part of what Jesus is saying to us in the midst of that is that opposition is inevitable, but it's not invincible. He shows it to us when he took the least likely convert, put him right to work, and did it despite the suspicion, opposition, and danger that they faced. So let me ask you this. What do you need to do? What do I need to do in spite of? Is there opposition that you've taken as a reason that maybe God is against it? And he's saying, press through it. This is just a normal part of life. Is there somebody that you are praying for and you're tempted to just give up or not even pray for them because you know, that's too far gone? It's a hopeless situation and you need to hear from the voice of the Lord. Despair is always a lie. There's nothing I can't do. Maybe the Lord needs to say that to you. And maybe you are not pitching in because you think, I'm not ready, I'm not qualified, it's time for you to start serving. Maybe, maybe you don't realize the, the circle and the influence that you have and how you could be dramatically used by God by just including somebody in what you're already doing, vouching for them, bringing them along, inviting them to sit with you in church next week. You just don't know how the trajectory of your life and theirs could be changed by simply including others as Barnabas did Saul. So, highlighting that idea of saying yes, and with this I will close. The Apostle Paul, Saul at that time, was confronted with undeniable evidence that totally transformed his life. The resurrection is kind of like that. As we get ready to celebrate Easter next week, you know, there would be no way, the way, there would be no Christianity, there would be no Bible as we know it if it weren't for the resurrection of Jesus because nobody would have cared if he hadn't raised from the dead. It's one of the most powerful proofs for the resurrection that we, that Christianity exists, that we are here today, that we have the Bible that we do. And look at what happened. God came in the form of one of the most unlikely of people, born in humility, born in poverty, not in a position of power, but of weakness. And God used him, his life, his death on the cross to redeem the entire world. And you would think that if God would send his son, everybody would just recognize him and believe him, right? But that's not the story, is it? He constantly faced opposition. He constantly faced danger and eventually was put on the cross. But he did so willingly to accomplish his purposes so that we could be forgiven because what he did on the cross can count for us. And then God affirmed that by raising him from the dead, bringing him that he ascended to heaven. And from there, he convinced the apostle Paul of the truth of the gospel and now he is at the right hand of God. He is Lord 
And when we say yes to him, we are saying yes to his forgiveness, yes to his lordship. And every day we surrender to him and say, yes, Lord. What does he want you to do that you have not been doing because of, and he wants you to do something in spite of? Will you just open your heart and mind to what the Lord might say to you through and in that today? Let's pray. Lord, you are a good God, so patient, so powerful. And Lord, there are times where we just don't believe the right things. We're believing a lie, embracing a lie, and we need your truth to per penetrate and permeate our minds and our thinking. And Lord, sometimes it takes us getting knocked off our horse and blinded by the light. And other times you speak in a still, quiet voice. Lord, I pray that whatever it takes for you to align our thinking with the truth, to put our hearts in sync with yours, I pray that you would do that. And that each one of us as we sit here quietly before you, if there's something that we haven't done because of that's not a good because of, and you want us to do it in spite of, I pray that you would show us, even now, in the next day or so, whenever you see fit to show us, point us out. See, that's what I'm talking about. Remember that message from Sunday? This is your in spite of. This is what I can do this is the heart I can change. This is the one that you should include. This is the way that I want to commission and serve and, and, and use you to serve. Lord, give us openness, clarity, so that we might hear you. And then give us the faith and obedience to do as you say to respond with yes, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.